So we have been digging into Ephesians and uh, are in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read again just the first section of chapter 2, so verse 1 all the way down to verse 10. And uh, today will be our last day on that section, and then we'll be looking into the next group of verses that for a couple days after that. We might end out our week. Good morning, Jody. Glad to see you. Hope you're... Hope you're doing really well. Um, continuing to pray for your mom and your entire family. And just so glad that you're able to continue to be down there with her. And again, if there's anything that your hubby needs, let us know. Okay. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Good morning, Pat. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God... But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are, were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus." For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good morning, Ray. So, yeah, you know, as you read through Paul's letters, you know, it almost sounds like we are repeating ourselves, right? Because he's and he's gone from one thing with the Galatians to now to the Ephesians. And believe me, when we get to Philippians and Colossians, and if you go back to First and Second Corinthians and Romans, and he does repeat himself a lot. And I think there's a value in hearing it. So. You know, there's times where I don't do it often. Um but where I might pull out an old sermon because it hit people a certain way. God was, you know, maybe in the writing of it. And so it's something that every couple of years people need to rehear because we forget it. That's why we preach passages over and look at them from different angles because we need to hear it again. We, we are creatures of habit and repetition. But the other thing that I see in this, when you look at the different, what we read in Galatians, and now we're reading in Ephesians, and it sounds like a lot of it's repeating, it's almost a plus. It's almost a positive. What it says to me is there's others that have the same questions, and there's others that have the same failings, and you're not alone. The Galatians were not the Ephesians, and yet they had some of the same issues, right? The Galatians and Ephesians were not the Philippians, and yet they had some of the same issues. They needed to understand this idea of where we were before Christ and then what Christ does in us, that in Christ, who we're made, who we're created to be, we are with Christ. Uh, you know, we spent some time on those two words, but 
God. They're critical words in anything we're going through, but God. You know, he, he finishes out with a word that he used in Galatians as well, that we are his masterpiece, we're his workmanship, his masterpiece, the same word for poema, that we get the word poem, we're his beautiful writing. You know, Paul has described our past, the death, the sins, the, the drowning in our passions, the suffering or suffocation even under the rules of the rulers of this world. That's our sin and that's our death, the sin that leads to death. It's so closely connected. He had it all interconnected throughout it, but he goes, but it all changes in Christ for the now and the not yet. It's not perfect now. We still have outward things and temptations and passions. We we still are under the the maybe the unfair rule of rulers and especially think about our brothers and sisters in China and Iraq and Iran and we have first world problems. We have other world problems. It, it's not it, it doesn't compare the persecution that we face in America is nothing compared to the persecution of life and death. But all changes in Christ. It's the love of God. It's the gift of salvation. It's his grace. We're made alive. We're raised. We're seated with Christ. All of those words and terms that he uses to give us hope. In the midst of the trials, in the midst of the sufferings, we have hope for the now and the not yet. We have a hope in Christ who is the one who gives us strength. In my weakness, he is made strong, right? Or here for good works. Finishes out with, you know, the good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And again, we've talked and we won't spend time again here, but back in the Galatians ones, we talked about justification by faith. Versus justification by works. We don't believe in that. We don't believe that you earn your salvation. That's not what Paul is talking here. He is talking about this, that God, that good works are things that we want to do. They don't earn our salvation, but they seek to show our love for God. They're like one big giant thank you. You know, whenever I've, uh, had to sit in and do uh, marriage counselings or even looked at different issues with marriages and, and you know family and friends and I'm going man if if you would just get off the couch and serve the other person if you would do something once in a while for the other person if you would cook dinner so that they don't have to clean up the dishes after they cook dinner vacuum before they get home from work you know, and I'm talking to the guys, not not the ladies, okay? You know, it's us guys that generally are the ones that, that don't do that. And we don't serve each other. We don't serve. Or we take a uh, uh, an exam, a test like the five love languages to realize what our spouse's love language is. And then because we know it when we're upset at them, we withhold whatever it is, whether it's it's quality time well we just we choose not to be around them because we're mad if it's acts of service we choose not to serve well make your own lunch i'm not doing it today because we use it to hurt them we use our knowledge which puffs us up 
to corrupt and hurt others. And God's not talking about works that are selfishly intended. They are not things where we do it out of selfish ambition. You know, that's, that's the whole thing behind the heart, right? It's the matter of the heart. I know some who have served over years and years and not at our church again, you know, but in other churches I've been in who they were stuck on their title. They had fought and they had positioned in order to have a title. They wanted to be seen as the servant of the church, but it was out of pride. And Jesus talks about, don't let your right hand know what the left hand is doing. And then he talks about that in giving, but in a way it's the same thing in serving. You know, we don't go around patting ourselves on the back. And we don't do it for the pat on the back, right? Good morning, Carrie. But that's what good works. It doesn't earn our salvations, but they seek to show our love for God. It's our big, giant thank you to God for everything that he's done for us. You know, there in that passage we read in Ephesians 2 and verse 8 and 9, there, there's a couple kind of key concepts. He summarizes so much of what he's talked about in Galatians and what he's talked about already in Ephesians. And, and um, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God and not a result of works so that no one may boast. So I, I think there's kind of six things that we can see there. One is just simply as believers, we're saved from sin. We're, we're saved from sin because we are conscious of our new state in Christ. It's the new wine or you know, new wine and the new wineskins, right? Um, as a holiness pastor, I don't know if I can say wine, but it, you know what I mean. It's that whole passage, right? That you don't put new wine in an old wineskin where it's going to break open. And in Christ, we are new. Now, Back to prior conversations, does that mean that we are without sin? Absolutely not. But does it mean that sin has a control in our lives anymore? Absolutely. It, sin no longer controls us. Satan no longer can control our spirits, but we do have things that we block the work of the Holy Spirit with, whether you call that a stronghold or, or just past experiences that we are calloused. We're callous to trust. We're callous to let friends in. We're calloused because of our past. But that doesn't mean that we're not saved, right? It, it, just because we fall to a temptation, uh, to fall to fear, fall to anything, it doesn't have to be a, a adultery or pornography. It can be just fear. It can be jealousy. It can be pride. It can be, you know, gossip, slander, all those things doesn't mean that we're free from them, but God says we no longer have to be controlled by them. Not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that Christ has done for us. The second thing is that as believers, we're saved from, saved from sin by and through grace. So not only are we saved from sin, but we are saved from sin by and through grace, the grace of God. We talked yesterday about those channels and the experiences of, um, of what grace looks like and how grace reaches out to us and how we understand grace, the channels through prayer, 
through scripture, through the sacraments, right? We, we talked about that a little bit yesterday. And if you didn't hear that, go back and watch that one. But it's by and through grace. And remember what grace is. Grace, the word was chased. Chased. Chased was this idea of unmerited, undeserved favor. Absolutely undeserved favor. And we'll talk a second a little bit more about that again. We must, thirdly, we must accept this grace by faith. So we're saved from sin. We're saved by sin or from sin by grace or through grace. And then we must accept this grace by faith. It's faith. We don't seek a sign like the Pharisees. Demand a sign. Jesus, show me a sign. Or Gideon. Man, I wish sometimes I could be Gideon, put out a fleece and say, hey, God, um, let the ground be wet, the fleece be dry, and then go, oh, you know what, God, why don't you reverse it, just so I really know it's you. I'd love to do that, wouldn't you? But yet, we are called to accept this grace in the workings of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit by faith. Because let me tell you, the Holy Spirit speaks into your lives and gives you a better feel, a better peace, a better understanding, a better sign of God's grace than any outward miracle ever really could. You have the assurance of the Holy Spirit working inside you. If we just listen, tap in, spend some silent time humbly coming before God, not with our needs and wants, but saying, God, speak, because he does. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unspeakable things, right? Hey, that's a scripture verse, right? You need to memorize that. So we accept this grace through faith. Faith is not merit. It, 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 it's just acceptance. Faith isn't something that we even, uh, we grow in our faith. We grow in our understanding of our faith. But faith is something that we have completed through the work of the Holy Spirit in the now and the not yet. That's that craziness of us living in our fleshly lives with spiritual newness. Is that it's now, but we'll feel and we'll understand it fully in the not yet in glory. The fourth is we don't earn it. We don't earn it. It's kind of like this. So I heard of the illustration. It's about uh, like with lungs and air. Air is all around you. God created your lungs. He created your air. But you have to accept that air in every day by breathing in and out. You have to accept it. You don't earn it. You don't earn having lungs created inside your body. You don't earn the air that is around you, but you accept it. It's a gift of God. That's our faith. We exercise the gift of faith that's given to us, and we learn to exercise it, and we learn to grow more and more, which grows more and more in trust and obedience of the things that God has for us. The fifth is that salvation 
It's not produced by works. I mean, we keep kind of going over that, but that's true. It's it's there. There were terms that were used, um, Latin terms called like solo sola gracia. Sola gracia is only or by faith alone or grace alone. By grace alone, only grace. And sola fide, which is by faith alone. It's grace alone, by faith alone. John Wesley also said sola scriptura, which was by scripture alone right and and he would say i'm a man of one book which is kind of what we talked about yesterday it doesn't mean that you don't read other things but it means if you're not reading scripture then don't bother reading what everybody else has to say about scripture because you're just going to be tossed by the winds listening to other people instead of knowing in your own heart through the holy spirit that this is right that what they're saying about you name it is right the sixth thing is good works are the fruit of. They are the fruit of our believer's salvation. The works, the good works are the fruit of. They're not the cause of our salvation. It's the consequence of it, maybe you could say. <laughs> right? You've been saved, so now. It's a consequence. It's the evidence of. It's the expression of. Remember Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. Now, okay, legalism causes us to fruit shame. Think about that. Legalism causes us to fruit shame. And if you've ever caught yourself fruit shaming, okay, comparing your gifts to somebody else and saying, well, I don't see enough fruit to know that they're saved, then you better put a little notch in that. Check yourself. Check your spirit. Check your humility, check your arrogance and your pride and say, whoa, because only God knows the heart. Spurgeon once said that you don't preach. He was talking about funerals, but he goes, you don't preach anybody into heaven. You don't preach them into hell. Now, he took it to the degree that even if it was a saint that he had seen lived because of his Calvinistic thing, he's like, well, maybe they turned away at the last minute and they weren't truly saved in the first place. And so he, he took it to a different degree. But I think that's true when it comes to fruit. Be careful. God knows the heart. And just because they've been in church their entire life does not mean that they're a 20-year Christian. It means they're a one-year Christian 20 times over, okay? Just because they've grown up in church and know scripture and can quote Bible verses doesn't mean that their faith has had an opportunity to grow. Don't fruit shame. Don't compare your fruit to others. Because if you're truly and you're doing that, you might just find that your fruit's a little rotten. Be careful. <clears throat> it's the evidence. Good works is the evidence, the consequence, the expression. Sin and death corrupts, but God. But God. Those two words, like I've said, those, that's a pretty big but. But God. His grace is the antidote to wrath's poison. So in scripture, we have different, different kind of stories about grace, about the chesed. And, and so you have the good Samaritan. We throw that all the time, but here's the thing. The good Samaritan story was not about God's mercy grace. It wasn't about that grace and mercy that we're talking about when it comes to salvation and what he does in our lives. It was talking about the mercy and love that you show to a neighbor. Okay. So don't 
compare God's mercy with that Good Samaritan story per se yet, okay? Hey, listen, hear me out. God's mercy is different. You see, the Good Samaritan kind of reached out to somebody who was in need. It was a neighbor. That was the story. It was the neighbor. Yes, it was somebody who really didn't like him, but they weren't out to kill him, okay? God's mercy and grace reaches out to people who are enemies of, those who are atheists that would love to see God dead. That's the difference between his grace and mercy and the grace and mercy that we extend out to other people, to our neighbors. His grace and mercy is no matter what, he is seeking and reaching out to us. His mercy is that chesed, undeserved, unmerited favor, unwarranted, and yet he still loves. He still reaches out. Think of the worst person in history that you can think of. Maybe it's Hitler. Maybe it's Mussolini. Maybe it's, um, oh, I don't know, Jeffrey Dahmer. You, you name it. Gacy. Uh, you, you just think of some of these. God still loved them and reached out to them. In fact, there's a song by a group called Roomful of Walters. It's called Jeffrey Dahmer Went to Heaven. You see, Dr. Dobson met with Jeffrey Dahmer numerous times. And according to Dr. Dobson, Jeffrey Dahmer accepted Christ into his life in those final years awaiting execution. And he was sorry. He was remorseful. He was penitent, you know, if you will, remorseful for what he had done. Dr. Dobson felt that it was real. And the song says, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer went to heaven or else he lied on television. And then it says, if that makes you question God, then maybe God ought to question you. His love, his grace, his chesed reaches even to the darkest, worst sinner. Aquinas, Thomas Aquinas listed four ways that God's love is directed towards us. It's the way we understand and see his love. First, it was what brought us into existence. It created us. It loved us and created us in his image. Brought us into existence and made us into God's image and this being that is capable of experiencing and enjoying the love of God. He created us for that relationship. Third thing, it renews and redeems humans that are corrupted by sin out of his love. Because if it wasn't for his love, he didn't have to create us. He didn't have to make us for relationship. We could have been robots with no free will. And he didn't have to um, change how we were corrupted by sin. Could have said it's your own fault. So if you fall to sin, tough luck. I didn't come for you. I only came for these goody two-shoes, right? That's not what Jesus did. It's not the love of God. And fourth, it offered that true sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his son. That's the love of God that is so deep, undeserving, unmerited. His chesed. God's nature is mercy and his love is eternal. God's nature is mercy and grace, and his love is eternal. You see, we have to come to the realization, I am broken, but God. 
I, I am without value, but God. And in humility, remember, but God. We can't begin to find unity. That's what Paul goes on to talk about, and we're going to talk about more starting tomorrow. But we can't begin to find unity in the body of Christ until we walk with a limp. Until we see and know our own brokenness. Because, as I said the other day, and I'll close with this again, you may feel afraid, but God. You may feel anxious, but God. You may feel discouraged, but God. You may feel grief, but God. You may feel despair, but God. You may feel tossed by the waves of life, but God. You may feel unsure of tomorrow, but God. You may feel failure, but God. You may feel alone, but God. You may feel of no worth, but God. You may feel no one understands, but God. You may feel ignored, but God. And you may feel the whole world is out to get you, but God, whose nature is grace and mercy and his love is eternal, reaches out to us in the depths of our despair, in the depths of our sin, in the depths of our fear, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, and he reaches in. He reaches in. Love that helps to seek to redeem and restore our brokenness. But he doesn't take away the scars. He doesn't take away the outward sign of that brokenness. But he uses it for his glory. When we walk with a limp, we quit trying to hide it. We were all broken. But God, but God, can use that brokenness for his glory. In my weakness, he is strong. God, I love you and I thank you for how your, your great love reaches out to all of us. Everyone we know, everyone who is ever created. But in that great grace and mercy and love, you could force us. You could turn us into mindless slaves. But you created us for relationships. And you can't have a relationship with a slave. Someone who, who only loves because they have to or only serves because they have to. God, that's what good works come out of when we understand our brokenness and then we turn and say, oh God, I, I can't believe what you've done for me. 
I love you, and I want the world to know it. Holy Spirit changes inwardly. Work in our hearts. Heal our past hurts. Heal our issues, whatever they might be, for your sake, O Lord. We praise you for that great love that you sent, stretched out his arms and died on the cross, shed his blood for us, and rose from the grave to make a way for an eternal life. So, Lord, in this now, this time of right now, this time of waiting for that day of glorification, of perfection, where we won't have to worry about sin and pain and grief and all of these self-confidence issues and all, whatever it might be, we await that day with hope and anticipation. And that hope gives us grace right now. Grace upon grace upon grace for whatever we need to meet the day. May we learn even more to tap into that power, that grace. We love you, O Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you, O God. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Have a wonderful afternoon, everybody.